Praise the Lord. I want to give you two names of two people that probably most of you, maybe my wife and my son, have ever met. One is a name called Derek Maguire. Anybody know Derek Maguire? Maybe another Derek Maguire. Derek Maguire lives in Pretoria. Another name is a, is a person called Brendan Smith. Brendan lives in Cape Town. And these are two individuals that, um, in the course of, of my life, has, um, have meant quite a lot to me. I remember 2007, we were living down south, and we started traveling up to Zimbabwe on a frequent basis. And, and I never knew these gentlemen until they started traveling with me. I don't know about you, but if you travel quite a distance for, you know, coming up here, it would... Obviously, be about 12 hours of driving and then another four, three days of traveling around here and another 12 hours back. So eventually, we would spend days together. And those days would have often been repeated as we did multiple trips together. And I remember Derek having been a great friend that I didn't know that all his skills that he had until um, we had certain breakdowns. Because when you travel a lot, the inevitable sometimes happen that you have a breakdown. And I remember one day when we were in South Still, we hadn't even left the country yet, and, the, and, the, and literally almost the wheels came off of our trailer, and gee, Derek was there. And I wouldn't have known what to do, because we had to replace the bearings and everything on this trailer, but Derek was there. And Derek managed everything. I'm like, Jesus, you're so good to me. <laughs> Thank God for Derek. And so subsequent trips again we would have issues and Derek would just be the guy that would bail me out <laughs> and to this day I, I appreciate him and, and I phoned him up again yesterday because I was preparing and I'm like man I haven't spoken to Derek in a while and I phoned him we just had a great chat and Brendan Smith is another man who had been in the British Army served there for many years he was up in Afghanistan for many years of his life and then when we were traveling up and down here to Zim, an organization from the UK heard about what we were doing, bringing food into Zimbabwe 2007. And they wanted to partner with us. And they said, well, their representative in Africa is in Africa, or for Africa, is in South Africa. He would want to travel with me on a trip and, and then establish whether they could possibly support us, which they did start. And they probably started giving us 250,000 rands every month to buy food to come into Zim. And we did that. For numbers of years. The amount of money that they eventually gave was, was far over probably 20 million rand. I don't know. I just, the other day I thought I should calculate it a bit. But the most important thing that happened is that Brendan and I became friends. Because he traveled with me. And we again, he did multiple trips with me. So much so that our friendship grew. That when he got married about four years ago, he said, Vessie, won't you please do us the honor to come and officiate our wedding. And so we traveled down Cape Town and, and did it there. And I phoned Brendan yesterday again. Say, hey, how you doing? Point is this. There are friendships in our lives that have come over numbers of years. And, and you know what? It's so easy to just quickly attach yourself to that person by virtue of just a simple phone call. You may not have seen them for a long time, but there's something so strong between the two of you. But it had to start somewhere. It didn't just happen overnight. I literally spent hours and hours 
<coughs> excuse me, with these two individuals. <clears throat> and today, I can call them my friend because we had come to know each other through various situations. Friendship with Jesus. And what we need to know about Jesus is obviously more important than even friendships here on earth. But as friendships on earth are dependent upon our intentional, purposeful, almost disciplined time with each other, it is the same for Jesus. And as we read scripture, we see that it is so clear that this is absolutely important for us. Our aim as believers is to get to know each other and, and to engage each other and to learn from each other and to grow together as friends. But our aim is firstly and most importantly is to get to know Him. And we've been talking about crossing over and, and, and living life on the other side and we've used the story of Joshua using the Israelites to cross through the river over, over the last couple of weeks. And, and as we started talking about what God may have for us on the other side as individuals and as a church, we started realizing that one of the things that will enable us to be better prepared for the other side and, and enable us to walk this journey as a church and as believers, individuals on the other side is an understanding, is this revelation of who Jesus is. Because the one that's here with us, this side, is the one that will carry on walking with us on the other side. And, and He wants to reveal not just these plans for us, but his identity. He wants to reveal to us who he is. And folks, we cannot just talk about our purpose as, as people here on earth and about the things that we ought to do and, and about being missional under, without understanding that the mission is firstly Jesus. The focus is firstly Jesus. And we need to, as brothers and sisters, as friends, almost regularly ask each other this question, who is Jesus to you at this moment of your life? What is the last thing or the latest thing that you just simply have learned about Jesus? What is the one thing that you felt that you've grown in your walk with Jesus that has been added to your life because of this connection to Jesus? Who is Jesus to you today? And if we take ourselves to Scripture, and this morning the title of our message simply is The Jesus We Need to Know. And if we, if we want to spend enough time on everything that we should and could know about Jesus, scrap tomorrow, scrap this whole week for that matter, because we're going to be here for a long time. And you're excited about that, correct? Uh, <laughs> No, the point is, there's so much that we need to and, and could get to know about Jesus. But I'm going to try to give you a little bit, just in my time, with you. And I want to firstly take you to what is a man by the name of Paul experienced as he started walking with Jesus. So why don't you turn with me to Acts chapter 9. By the way, just to um, make sure that we're not confused about next Sunday, we do still have a meeting in the morning at 9 a.m. And then after that, we will go and have our birthday party. So please still come and enjoy time together as Kenny and Maureen will be with us at that time. 
So the story here is about this man. He was initially called Saul. As he got converted, it changed to Paul. And um, so Saul was persecuting the church. <coughs> and um, we find that the Jesus that he met was, was a Jesus that he didn't know. And let me read to you just from a couple of verses in, in Acts. And why don't you just go with me to Acts 9, first of all. And I'll read from verse 1. It says, But Saul, still breeding threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. How many of you have ever had that? You're a disciple of the Lord? Anyone followers of Jesus? Anyone? Anyone? Just a couple of hands. Others? Um, yeah, thank you. How many of you have ever had threats and murders been chucked at you and say, because you're following Jesus, we're going to kill you and take you out and do something to you? None of us? Here it happened. That Saul is behind all of this. So this guy, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, people following Christ, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. By the way, People weren't identified as Christians by simply their name, Christian. They were identified as following Christ by virtue of their lifestyle, belonging to the way. They lived a certain lifestyle. And so don't go around trying just, just to tell everybody that you're a Christian. Just live the lifestyle. Let them tell you, oh, you must be a follower of Christ by virtue of the way that you live. All right? Just something for free. Anyway, so um, he said, if I find anyone, I'm going to bring them bound to Jerusalem. So verse 3, it says, now as he went on his way, say with me, on his way. Many a times we're on our way. We're on our way that we want to go and assuming that this is the right way. And God kind of has to interrupt. I hope that somehow this morning you're on the right way. That God may not need to interrupt you as we are on our way. Because here it happened. He was doing what he thought was good. And he was trying to be noble in it persecuting those that are following Christ. And so when he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light, say with me, light. Light. A light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Kind of knew it was a divine being. He didn't say... Hey, any of the guys with me, who said that? Who said that? Hey, hey, did you say that? No, he said, Lord, who are you? And he, the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight. And neither ate nor drank. In chapter 22, we see him retelling the story. And just quickly from there, verses 6 to 11, chapter 22, he says the following, almost just similar to what he had just said. And said, I was on my way, verse 6, and suddenly a great light from heaven shone and fell to the ground. And, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus. And, and verse 9 said, now those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And he was instructed. And, and then in verse, or chapter 26, we read him elaborating a little bit on what Jesus actually really said to him. You find in verses 15 to 20 of chapter 26, where Paul just goes into a little bit more detail of what Jesus said. 
in, in verse 15, it says that God said to him, Jesus, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand up on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. <coughs> God was trying to tell him why this was happening. And it says, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you, to open their eyes. How's that, eh? God's just shut his eyes, symbolically in a sense, to tell him, listen, as your eyes open up, you're going to help others to open up their eyes too, so that they may turn. Say with me, turn. That's a big thing in our lives, turning. Many of you are sitting here this morning because somewhere in your life you've turned. But you know what? There's a first time where we turn. We turn away from sin. We turn towards God. But we need to keep on turning. Maybe this morning you, you recognize that there are things in your life that you've just been accommodating. God's just speaking. Say, hey, my son, my daughter, turn. Turn back. Turn towards me. And so this is what Paul was instructed to that his mission on earth was going to be that. And, and we are recipients of this, what happened here today, or that, that, that day rather. That we are able to turn from darkness to light, from, from mystery into understanding God's purpose as we read Paul's letters. So it's an incredible word, this. So that they will be turned from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith. Amazing, Paul had experienced this. This moment changed Paul's life forever. A friend came into his life that he started walking with. And the testimonies and the experiences that Paul had are phenomenal. The Jesus that Paul met that day changed his life forever. But let me share this with you, is that among the crowd that were part of this journey were people that were there with him. They saw the same light. They heard the same voice. But they didn't know who was speaking. They didn't have an understanding. And it seems like the Bible doesn't give us a clear idea of, of whether they pursued and tried to find out more. But may I make this assumption this morning. That many of them heard and saw, but they couldn't care less. And it's not like God is saying, well, I only will appear to some and others I'm not interested in, because that's contradictory to the Scripture. God is interested in everyone. Is it possible that people saw the light, they heard the voice, but they didn't carry on about investigating who this was? Is it possible that we, as, as people here on earth, could see the light, could hear the voice, but not pursue Jesus more. I told you the story of two of my friends that most of you will probably never ever meet in your life. None of you, as you listen to it, thought, oh, I'd love to meet Derek or I'd love to meet Brendan. And I don't blame you. That's fine. But how sad will it be if we as believers, or not just believers, but as people would consistently hear about Jesus, would consistently see the light, as we even look at Scripture, which is the light, but we don't pursue Him deeper and more. Or we just become content with the little that I know. I know this about Jesus, and that's okay for me. 
Our aim as believers is to live such a life that we will consistently, passionately encourage one another about a deeper walk with Jesus. That's why I would preach this morning. But it cannot be dependent upon a preach once a week on a Sunday morning that will stir you towards a deeper walk with Christ. It has to be something that you go look for yourself. We can be part of the crowd. We can be part of a Paul that sees this incredible vision, that hears this amazing voice. But we can be oblivious to the rest. And we can say, well, that was for him. It's not for me. I don't going to go that deep. I'm not going to become that serious about God. Praise God for Paul. That's his purpose in life, to go and dig deeper. I'll be happy with just, I saw the light. Imagine, imagine years after that, some of these guys that were there with Paul, just relating the story to their children. You know what, children? One day, long time ago, we were traveling on this road, and there was this moment. Have you heard about Paul, this guy that's preaching? I know him. I was there. Wow, Dad, did, did you actually experience this? Yeah, I was there. I saw the light. And what did it do to you? Oh, nothing. I just saw it, but nothing else. Could it be so sad that we could live our lives that way? That we would, hey, I've been to church all my life. Every Sunday. I'm the first one there, the last one to go. And I'm mocking it, not in a bad way, but just trying to tell you that we could come every week. We could pick up our Bible. But it could just be looking at the light and not pursuing the person. I could give you details about Brendan and Derek. That's just information. But I could share with you about Jesus. Helping you to know Jesus more. Encouraging you for a personal walk with Him on a daily basis. That'll change your life forever. Because on the other side of where we, God is taking us and, and this way that He has for us, this life that He has for us, this purpose here on earth is so dependent upon the revelation of who Jesus is. It changed Paul's life forever. Friend, I ask you this morning, how much is Jesus changing your life? How much of the decisions, how many of those decisions that you make on a daily basis are based on who He is and what He wants and what He says? Or is it just, well, I feel that's how it's going to be. Then maybe Jesus is just that light, or that voice. Once off in your life it happened, but it's not consistently where He's speaking into your life. And so this morning, I want to help you see the Jesus we need to know. And I'm just going to give you three things. There are 300 that we could give. But this morning, I just want to share with you that the Jesus we need to know came from heaven. Is the first one. The Jesus we need to know, I'm just going to quickly summarize, is He presented Himself to us as God. So He came from heaven. He, he presented, He said, I am God. And then thirdly, the Jesus that we need to know is sinless. He comes without any sin. So firstly, if we look at the Jesus we need to know, let's go to the first point. I just did that in summary quickly. That He came from heaven. And you know what? 
I don't know if you've spoken to many people that have said to you, listen, I've come from heaven. Maybe some of you have spoken to people that have been to heaven and come back. We call those NDEs, near-death experiences. And we, we have hobbers of those around the world where people have, have had those near-death experiences and, and they literally have been to heaven and they come back with stories. And, but you know what? People can only tell us that they've been to heaven and, and come back. But there's no one. There's no one that can tell you that he's come from heaven. That heaven is his home. That's exactly what, what Jesus came to do. We need to find proof of this as we take you to John chapter 6. Why don't you turn there with me? John chapter 6 is an incredible portion of Scripture that, um, that Jesus explains to, to His disciples and the people around Him, and particularly the Jews that, that hated Him, that He came from heaven. It says in verse 38, I want you to with, turn with me, read with me. It says, um, verse 38, Jesus speaking, He says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. So He recognizes where He's from, and he recognizes who sent him. So he, he honors the Father. says, Father, you're the one who sent me from heaven to earth for a purpose. And then in verse 40 it says, For this is the will of my Father, the one who sent me, that everyone who looks on the Son, the one who's come, and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Ah, the Jews grumbled about him. Ah, says, he said, uh, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. Like, oh, we don't understand this. We don't accept this really. They said, oh, come on. This is Jesus, the son of Joseph. I'm like, what? Heaven, you know, he's from Nazareth, man. Like, what? This heaven thing came from his bread from heaven. His father and mother, we know. How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? <laughs> and Jesus, knowing everything that we go through, and even if you grumble, Jesus knows that. That's just another free thing, quickly. Uh -huh. So grumbling and moaning and complaining. I mean, he picks it up just like that. He says, uh, <laughs> do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So now Jesus, he's just, he's just kind of milking this moment even more. He's not explaining, okay, 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 guys, sorry, sorry, sorry. Let me just explain again. It gets worse. He says, I not only have I come down from heaven, and I'm the bread that they've come down from heaven. Look at the, what he carries on with. <laughs> he says in verse 48, again, I'm the bread of life. But he says in verse 40, 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. <laughs> now he says, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. It's like, <laughs> I mean, come on, you're joking. You just said you're from heaven. Now you're the bread from heaven. Now you want us to eat of you. <laughs> like, oh, seriously. And, uh, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world <laughs> is my flesh. So now... How Jesus loves to stir. He loves to kind of crank it up and make us feel uncomfortable and almost offend us because He wants to shake our world. That's why if your world is not shaken, I dare to say this morning that your closeness to Christ is possibly not the way that it should be. But the closer you get to Christ, the more uncomfortable it becomes 
to live this life here on earth the way that we want to. Because He challenges us around our selfishness and our own desires and our own way. Closer you start to get to know Him through Scripture, you're like, oh, yeah, I've got to give this up. I've got to pursue that because I want to honor Him. And if you're far away and it's like, man, I'm living my life. It's just great. I challenge you that the gospel and the truth of the word needs to challenge you around the securities and the comforts that you may live with. And so Jesus, he carries on even more. He says in verse 53, Truly, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Which really, what he's saying is not the physical thing. He's just using physical qualities and ways to refer and help us understand what he's trying to say. He says, don't come and eat of me, because then obviously, you know, that would be a, quite a picture. Hey? He says, come and trust in me. Come and believe in me. Come and put your hope in me. Eat of what I have. Drink of what I say. And let that become part of your life. He uses these physical realities to teach us spiritual truths. But if those spiritual truths become too much for us, then Him coming from heaven and Him coming to introduce a different lifestyle could be regarded to us just as a light that has come and a voice that was spoken and the rest I don't want anything to do with because it's too much for me. So Jesus did not just come down from heaven to die on the cross. He came down from heaven to interrupt our lives as He did here. And you know what happened? Read with me in, in verse 60. When many of the disciples heard it when many heard what he had just said they said this is a hard saying we can listen to it who can listen to it it says and then verse 61 but jesus knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about it said to them do you take offense of it and then in verse 66 it says and after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him I'm talking about the twelve. I'm talking about others who followed him. There came a point where what Jesus said, what he came down from heaven to introduce, was too difficult for people to consider. Many of them would have been happy that he was a light that shone into our dark world. Or he was a voice from heaven that would speak. But what he would say would perhaps be too much for them to do. Friends, this morning I ask of you, as you read Scripture, as you dig deeper into the truth, don't become offended at what you read. Be offended at what I say and walk through it and forgive me because you will have to. I have to do that to you. All right? That's part of life. But what Jesus expects of you and me, let us never disregard that. And throw it out and say, this is too much asked. You can rejoice over the fact that, oh, Jesus came down from heaven. But Jesus did not just come down from heaven to die. He came to interrupt your life and my life. I'm asking you, are you allowing him to interrupt, to disturb? 
to shake your world. Because if you are truly following him, he's going to shake your world. It's not going to be comfortable. And this is not one of those preachers where, oh, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. No, no, listen, the Jesus we need to know is the Jesus that wants to interrupt our lives. He wants to be Lord. He doesn't just want to be a baby in a manger. Oh, sweet little Jesus. Sweet little Jesus became Lord Jesus. That wants to interrupt and direct our lives. And tell us what is the right way. And tell us how to respond. And tell us how to deal. And as we prayed earlier on, please speak to me, God. But don't just speak the things that I want to hear. The things that I ought to hear, please speak them. He came down from heaven to do that. And because he came down from heaven, and those two other verses, please go and read 1 Corinthians. It's such a beautiful portion of Scripture um, where it talks about the second man that came. first man was Adam. The second man is God, Jesus Christ. And, and this man came from heaven so that we can see him, not just, wow, I saw Jesus. That's on my bucket list was there. Managed to get it done. I was there that day when he passed by. No. What I need to see is who he is so that I can become like him. That's what 1 Corinthians talks about, Paul, referring to it. He says, the second Adam is the one that we need to. The second man that came from heaven. or well, the only one that came from him. The first man is Adam. Second man, Jesus in that context. He says, the second man is the one that we need to bear the image of. And the word, the Greek word for image in that portion, verse 49, is the Greek word eikon, E-I-K-O-N. And it really simply means the following, a, a, a simple replica or a representational picture of the original. So the eikon is a replica of this man that came from heaven. And that's why he came, so that we can become like him and represent Him. That's where we, by the way, get our word icon from. From this Greek word. And we often talk about icons. Icon for, you know, forgiveness. In this world is a man called Nelson Mandela. He's an icon for what forgiveness could look like. But he's not the exact replica He's not a full representation of Jesus. We have all sorts of icons in this life. I'm trusting that you're following the icon, the image of Christ in your life. He came from heaven to impart to us that image. The second thing I want to say to you, that, that Jesus, the Jesus that we need to know this morning, is that He presented Himself as God and He made no excuse for it. Mark 14 is a beautiful portion of Scripture where Jesus tells us more about Him and who He really is. And can we turn there? Just Mark 14 verse 61 says the following. But He remained silent and made no answer because they were asking Him um, you know, to testify. And again the high priest asked Him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. I am. But see what Jesus now says. And I want to put it to you this morning that this is a quote from the Old Testament. He says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming 
with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is quoting here from a prophecy by a man called Daniel. And if you want to, just quickly go there with me. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13 to 14. Jesus is quoting what Daniel saw and what Daniel said was going to come and what's going to happen. In verse 13 of Daniel 7 it says, I saw in the night visions, Daniel speaking, and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, ancient of days God. And to him, this one who came to appear before the ancient of days, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. Speaking about us. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So Jesus is quoting two portions, just two lines from this prophecy which the, the, the priests he's hearing the people that were listening to him in mark 14 they knew this very well and they knew that daniel was talking about the messiah coming to rule so jesus said you're asking me am i christ he says i am and he quotes daniel and he actually reiterates the fact that i have not just come down from heaven but I've come down to present myself as God. And it was for that that Jesus was killed. Because they said blasphemy deserves death. And Jesus in their eyes were blasphemous. He said, I cannot stand this. This man has to be killed. And Jesus knew very well that that was the law. That if you say, I am God, you're going to be killed. But Jesus knew what the truth was. And he stood for the truth. And he was killed for the truth. But Jesus knew that he would be raised. This is the Jesus that you and I ought to serve. More than just a light that appeared one day to Paul. More than just a voice that spoke. This is the Jesus that wants to speak into our lives. And say, I am God. And you're not. I want to be Lord. I want to direct your life. Allow me to do that. Not only in those verses um, up there um, in Mark 14, but John 5. If we can just have those verses up again. It's the previous slide. John 5, verse 17 to 18. Jesus again says that I'm God. And then Jesus in Matthew 14 and... Um, he also, in Matthew 14 and Matthew 28, he received worship uh, as God. People came and worshipped him, and he didn't tell them, stop, stop, stop. Because he knew he was God. And so as God, he deserves our worship. Jesus did not just come down from heaven. He came to present himself as God, and he came to be worshipped. So the Jesus that you are serving, is it the Jesus that you are worshipping? Is it the Jesus that you are throwing yourself in front of and saying, I worship you as my God? The last thing I want to say is that this man who came, this man who presented himself as, as God, lived a sinless life. And you've got to understand that's about Jesus. Jesus came not just to present heaven. Jesus came to live a life that was without sin.
that sets him above anybody else. No one on this earth, in his own right mind, even people who have said, I've read stories, and just in studying this, I've read stories about people who have said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm blameless, I'm faultless, I have no sin. <laughs> and, um, but pretty soon after that, you could see out of the history of their lives how that thing just turned completely sour, and, uh, when they, and they went the other way. Because no man on earth is sinless. We're all born in sin. But yet we have the sinless Savior that came to introduce to us a life of being forgiven for our sins and living in pursuit of no sin. We cannot, whilst we're on earth, claim that we will never ever sin. But we can say, I don't want to. And this is what we ought to live with. That confession is, I don't want to, God. I know maybe I will make mistakes and we do make mistakes. Agreed? Mm -hmm. But I don't want to, God. And how can I pursue a sinless life or a holy life? He says, I follow you. If Jesus is what He's supposed to be in your life, then we can overcome things. And you know what? It's simple. There's, some, there's, simple, there's things in our lives where we perhaps in the past would never be able to do, but because we train ourselves towards it, it becomes possible. You never grow up or you never wake up one day and say, well, I'll, I'm good at golf. I'm just going to play golf and I'm good at soccer or whatever. I'm just... No, you have to train. You have to work hard at it. Whatever it is in life, we've got to work at it. And it's the same as being holy. Things that in the past easily would have tripped you up perhaps and as, a, as a young Christian now becomes easier for you to say no to because you grow. You teach yourself. You become more skilled at saying no. Because you follow someone. And it's not a formula, it's a relationship. So those verses that, that are up to Hebrews, 2 Corinthians, 1 John, it all relates to the fact that we have this perfect, sinless life of Jesus who makes Him admittedly more holy and worthy of our devotion than anyone who has ever lived and helps to prove that He is God because God alone is without sin. And so, friends, I, I want to conclude this morning. I do think sometimes, I, I want to just throw this in. I'm going to stop making excuses for preaching a little bit longer. Because I think that there's not so much that I need to say, but so much about Jesus and about the Word that we need to understand. And we as elders have, have consistently tried to honor your time. But I think at the same time, we need to honor Jesus too. And I'm not saying this is an open, open ticket to preach for an hour or whatever. But you know what? I'm, I'm worried that sometimes we become so worried about the systems of this world and the way that things ought to be done in, in church and how ordered and how structured we are and should be and how timely we should be that we disregard the truth. And we ignore the beauty of Scripture. We cannot waffle. That's why we do prepare. I'm just throwing this in as, as something to you this morning, saying, guys, we want to recognize the beauty of God's Word. And wherever necessary, when it takes a little bit longer to explain things, to expound on it, please understand that it's not about trying to perform up here. 
but trying to help us grow in this beautiful revelation of who Jesus is. This beautiful revelation of who He is. And so this morning, as you consider just simply that Jesus, the Jesus that we need to know, He came from heaven. There's much more about that statement. He presented Himself as God. There's much more about that statement that we need to know. And He lived a sinless life. Much more about that statement that we need to know. But won't you, even in the verses that we've given you, in your own time, go and dig into that so that the Jesus that we need to know becomes even clearer and that it won't just be a voice from heaven and a light shining, but it'll be a God who reveals himself to you in an incredible way. Let's pray. Jesus, I need to know who you are. Jesus, please help me, please help us, never just to be satisfied with a light shining into our broken world, into our dark and devastated world. Help us not just to be aware of a voice that every now and again thunders and roars or whispers into our world and says, This is who I am. This is what I want to be to you. Help us not just to hear the thunder or the voice and see the light, but help us to see you. Help us, oh God, to let our eyes in a sense be blinded to all the other things around us and in this world. And help our eyes to open up to who you are. And help our whole being, Lord God, cry out for more of Jesus. And say, I'm not content, Lord God, with just a light and just a, a voice. With all due respect, oh Jesus, I want to see the full revelation of who you are. Here's my life, oh God. Please take me on this journey to show me who you really are. Because I need to know you. I need to know you. And God, may that knowledge be a revelation that changes us forever. Every simple revelation, every beautiful manifestation of who God is through Scripture, through life, through events, through nature, every moment that you break into our lives, Lord God, and you reveal something of who you are, may it be something that we grab hold of with all our being and embrace you and say, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know you. Father, help us. Holy Spirit, I I pray that as a church, that we will not just reflect on the voice moments, on the light moments that we may have experienced in the past, but help us to build our lives on that relationship with you, a daily one. And this morning, Father, as we, as we are before you, I pray forgive us, Jesus, for where we've become complacent. And just say, ah, it's okay, I, I know about him, that's enough for me. I know this about him and I've read that and that's okay. 
I don't need to know more. I don't need to pursue harder. I, I'm going to go to heaven one day. That's okay for me. I pray, Lord God, that conviction will come right now even. And Holy Spirit, you will bring us to the place where we want to drink, where we're desperate, where we say our hearts cry out for the fullness of Christ. Jesus, please, please help us. Please help us, Jesus. Holy Spirit, you've come to introduce and to help and to show us who Jesus is. We're so desperate for your revelation. As we go from here, I pray that, that our hearts will be open to see, to hear, to feel, to experience, to know, to taste who Jesus is. God, I trust for that. I pray, Lord God, just a spirit of revelation upon your people to know Christ. To know Christ. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray.